Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hello again, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. Three of the biggest events on the calendar are coming up in a feast of racing as the season draws to a close. Our experts are here to preview all the action in Macau, Las Vegas and Adelaide, plus more analysis of the 2024 Supercars calendar as the fallout continues. Joining me this week are Speed Cafe Editorial Director Andrew Van Leeuwen, Formula One Editor Matt Koch and Supercars Editor Daniel Herrero. Welcome, gentlemen, as we look ahead to a big 10 days in racing here and overseas. This weekend, it's the classic Macau Grand Prix and the definitely not traditional Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix. And this, then next week, we're off to the season finale at the Velo Adelaide 500. So first to AVL, who's on the ground in Macau. Very big traditional event. Andrew, fill us in on what's happening up there. It is a very traditional event. It's actually the 70th running of the Macau Grand Prix uh, this weekend. So um, basically they've split uh, the Grand Prix over two weekends this time around. They did the um, – so, you know, during COVID, uh, the, the COVID rules here in Macau and around this area were, were as strict, if not stricter, than what we had uh, in Australia. So uh, they kept the Grand Prix going throughout COVID, but they used Chinese Formula 4 as the Grand Prix category, local GT – um, cars instead of the GT FIA GT World Cup, so they've kind of, I guess, in a way, sort of celebrated that by running uh, Formula Four uh, Southeast Asia on last weekend. They ran a local GT race called the Greater Bay Area GT Cup last weekend, which was won by Daryl O Young, who's a Hong Kong, you know, drives for the Hong Kong team, Craft Bamboo, and has won a lot of races here. So they did that last weekend, and then this weekend is the big one. So this one's FIA F3, the FIA GT World Cup, stacked fields in both. Um, it's going to be a huge weekend. You know, first time that those two international categories have been here since 2019. Um, I, it's going to be a big one. Well, indeed. In fact, the Macau Grand Prix, historically and particularly more recently, well, 20 years or more, is one of the Blue Ribbon Formula 3 events around the world. Is it still the big one to win for the Formula 3 ranks or is it not the same anymore? No, I think it definitely still is. And we see, you know, someone like Marcus Armstrong coming back to F3 to have a crack at winning the race. There's guys that just want to win this race. It's impressive on your CV. And you kind of saw it in the Formula 4 race last weekend as well. Like just winning at Macau is something special. Like if you can come here and work out this circuit and score a race win here, you're doing something right and you clearly half know what you're doing. So um, no, it, it's still a very prestigious race. Um, it's becoming more and more difficult because of how fast those those F3 cars actually are. They're probably a little bit too quick for this circuit. Um, and obviously the GT race, you know, the GT race is, is a huge one as well. And that's, that's really grown in stature in the last few years. That's become a must win for the GT guys as well. And it's a completely unique race because it's a sprint race and we don't, it's a single driver sprint race. And we don't see a lot of that in international, uh, GT racing. So, um, you know, there's, there's still, there's still something about winning 
at Macau that is very, very special and, you know, every driver wants to do it. Mm. And, of course, the TCR World Tour continues up there. The International Tour at Bathurst just last weekend have made a dash up there um, to, to plug into a new fleet of cars waiting there for them. So, I mean, that's a, that's steeped in tradition. The Well, the gear race, isn't it? The gear race, yep. That's yeah, that's another that's another classic race. That's a race that that those touring car guys want to win. You know, we've seen Rob Huff have great success here, and I think is he leading the standings? I can't quite remember. He's certainly in the mix to uh, equal, equal to, leader, to win yeah. that equal leader. Yeah. So uh, so there's heaps to play for there as well. So there's always it's it, it's always it's interesting racing here. Like you just know there's going to be a lot of red flags. It can be a little frustrating sometimes. There's going to be a lot of safety cars. There's going to be a lot of red flags in the sessions, but. It's just one of those places that, like I say, if you get it right, you're doing something right. And for those TCR guys, like what an amazing double act to race at Bathurst one weekend and then around the gear circuit in Macau the next weekend. Like that is two incredibly challenging circuits to tackle on uh, on back-to-back weekends. Well, plenty to keep your interest going on up there. I've been there once and it's a pretty interesting place, a former Portuguese enclave in Southeast Asia. All right, stick around, AVL, to help us talk through Supercar's big finish in Adelaide coming up. So now, Formula One in Las Vegas and Matt Koch. It doesn't get any more glitzy than racing on the streets of the entertainment capital of the world, does it? It it really doesn't. One of my colleagues in the, uh, in the media room, Ed Straw, uh, suggested that this weekend is is when Formula One jumps the shark. To borrow a uh, a Happy Days metaphor, it's there's a lot of show, there's a lot of pageantry. It's never been done like this as Formula One um, for a decade since we've been in Las Vegas, a street circuit at night. You know, the checkered flag will fall at near midnight on the strip, um, or just around the corner from the strip. It's it's going to be epic. The whole town has got behind it and just the promotion that's gone into it is unlike anything I've ever seen in any Formula One event anywhere, including, you know, this takes a cake over anything Monaco does, anything that uh, that Singapore does. It's something very, very unique. And from that point alone, it's going to be fascinating to watch and just see it all unfold. Then we get the bonus of the, the race happening as well. Well, clearly it's going to be big continues the spectacular growth of Formula One in the United States of America. And certainly it is going to be a far, far cry from 40 years ago (laughs) when they ran the Las Vegas Grand Prix around the car park at Caesars Palace. And before you ask, no, I wasn't there. All right. (laughs) Well, you you weren't there the day that Michele Alboreto won in 1982. No, no. (laughs) <laughs> days days away all right funny man <laughs> no but this is a huge thing because i don't know if a lot of people realize it but the race is actually funded by formula one itself yeah it's a very different business model that formula one is uh is using this weekend now formula one's had a little bit of a helping hand in the odd event here and there in miami case in point but typically it goes out and it sells the rights to host a Grand Prix. And it makes a, about a third of its annual income through selling those rights to 
people like the Australian Grand Prix Corporation or Singapore Grand Prix and, and whatever else, that's a huge chunk of money that is normally income. In this instance, they've spent somewhere in the region of about $500 million of bought land to get this event started, to start this event up. There's there's going to be some amortization of that over the over the coming years, but it's a completely different way of going about it. And what they're doing is a couple of different things. One, they're trying to increase the hospitality spend and earn their money back that way. But secondly, they're trying to use this as a flagship to boost the popularity of Formula One everywhere else and effectively use this event as a loss leader, if that makes sense, so that the other events get the halo benefit from it and Formula One as a whole gets a halo benefit from it. Then you add in all the other bits and pieces that they can monetize over the Las Vegas Grand Prix weekend. And not this year, it'll almost certainly make a loss this year, but in years to come, it'll be, they believe, uh, a profitable, profitable event for them. Of course, as you pointed out, it's a night race. And because of the extreme time difference, if you have access to Fox Sports or KO here in Australia, on the East Coast, you'll be watching it late Sunday afternoon. That's a win. Yeah, you can sit down and uh, you know have your dinner in front of the TV and, and watch Formula One blast around the uh, the streets of Las Vegas. It's, it's a uh, 5 p.m. start on, on Saturday evening. Uh, sorry, on uh, Sunday evening for us, um, because it's a 10 p.m. Saturday night start in in Las Vegas. So that 19-hour time difference really works in our favour. Normally, we're the ones having to get up in the middle of the night. Now we're making the uh, the Americans do it, and and having an opportunity to go out, have your day, and then come back and watch a bit of motorsport in the uh, in the evening. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, broadcast ratings are like in the United States, running that late. Well, at least locally. It'll- uh, well, even later on the East Coast as well. Mm. But uh, anyway, we get to see it a good time. Apart from all the showbiz stuff, is it going to be worth watching or is it just going to be another Max Verstappen Red Bull route? I think it will be worth watching because of the time it's being held. It's late in the evening. The sun will have set some four hours earlier, so there won't be much residual track temperature. So tyre management is going to be key now. We know the Red Bull was good on tyres, but is that going to be a good thing switching them on in cool conditions or will a car that's a little bit harder on its tyres and McLaren is a good example of that. It's a little bit harder on its tyres, but it tends to have that longevity these days. So I think we're going to see an interesting three practice sessions leading up to qualifying. I don't think qualifying is going to be that representative of the, the race pace either because single lap pace is very, very different to race pace. And it's all about tyres this weekend. I'm going to keep saying that because every other race that we've done this year has been held in you know, sort of 12, 14 degrees and north. We're looking at sub 10 degrees for, uh, for this event. The tyres aren't designed for it. They've got a very narrow operating window. They degrade thermally. They grain. If you if you happen to get your car in that sweet spot, you're going to run and hide this weekend, and everyone is on an equal playing field. No one's got any data. They've got the track in a simulator, uh, but they don't have any any data on the the track surface, so they can't really you know it's best guess stuff at this stage. So it'd be fascinating to see 
Red Bull's, of course, still going to be up there or, or thereabouts, but I wouldn't be too surprised if we see some real upsets this weekend. And that's why I'm going to be watching it on top of the fact that I just love Formula One and, and would watch it over the birth of my own child. Don't tell my wife that. Um, but I think there's well, so many other stories to be told here. Yeah. Well, let, let's hope it is as interesting as, uh, as you're hoping. Of course, Matt, you and Ian Parks will be all over the Las Vegas Grand Prix right across the weekend on speedcafe.com. Okay, so moving on. The local season is going to finish on a high in Adelaide. It's a big program of racing, support racing, as well as supercars. And in the supercars, of course, it's the title fight between Brady Kostecki and Shane Van Gisbergen, and indeed Erebus versus Triple Eight for the team's crown. So Daniel Herrero will bring you in now. Quite simply, who wins and why? Uh, who wins and why? Uh, Brady Kostecki wins the Drivers' Championship. I don't see him uh, uh, stumbling now with a 131-point lead uh, going into the final event. Of course, 300 points on offer, but it would be uh, very hard to to try and overhaul that. There's, um, there's not really been any chinks in the armour for Erebus or that number 99 entry so far this year. So Shane Van Gisbergen will obviously make a, a very good fist of it, trying to trying to catch up to uh, Brody, but I, I just don't see it happening. Um, I think he's going to run out of time, if ever it was possible to overhaul Kostecki. The team's championship is a, a bit more interesting. Uh, Erebus is 170 ahead of Triple Eight there, which is closer in relative terms because obviously there are more points on offer. You've got multiple cars per team. But uh, again, that would be uh, that would be a hard ask for Triple Eight. They're probably a, a better chance of running down Erebus there. But again, I still don't see that happening. So uh, both championship titles going to Erebus is my tip at this point. Yes, I tend to agree. It's pretty much Kostecki's title to lose, isn't it? And the same for Erebus. Andrew Van Leeuwen, do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I don't think we've seen any uh, indications so far this year that Brody's not up to dealing with the uh, pressures of the title fight. He uh, seems like a pretty robust character. I think he'll go to Adelaide knowing what he has to do. Um, he's survived the really dangerous races, Sandown, Bathurst, the big 300-pointers. He got through the Gold Coast. Um, and, you know, I, I really can't see him putting the sort of foot wrong he would need to, to to leave the door open for Shane Van Gisberg. And remembering that Shane's not always epically quick at Adelaide as well. So now I think this is going to be, uh, we're going to see a new champion crown, which is, you know, a really good thing for our sport as well. I mean, Brody, and it's, 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 this is what his third full-time season. You know, this is a, this is a fantastic result. We've kind of had that season of, of, of not quite dominance, but just seeing those Coca-Cola cars up the front all the time. So it's easy to sort of get used to it, but, realistically you know this is a fantastic result to see somebody come in and 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 win the championship that's not shane van gisbergen and triple eight and do you think it's going to be another chance for the mustangs to score some lake glory i think in, it could the be themselves okay. I, th I think it could be um i think that uh what we saw from the Gold Coast, even though it's not an aero-dependent circuit, like there is absolutely no doubt that those changes made a difference. And, you know, they, those cars are now capable of winning races. So, you know, we're, we're on a street track again. 
drivers do make a difference around there. So yeah, look, I think it, it would be we can actually go there thinking, yeah, okay, like you know, Cam Waters, you know, he won't just stick it on pole. He might actually stick it on pole and go and and win a race. So that's sort of an interesting um, sort of story to follow as well, and another sort of uh, another sort of plot line to follow. That you know, there's probably a few other guys that are in the hunt. You think someone like Chaz Mostert, you know, WAU were very quick there um, last year. Um, Chaz and, and Nick Perkett taking that one, two on the Saturday. You'd think, you know, they've been in a bit of a rut lately. You'd think that Chaz would probably be pretty keen to, to end the season on a high note and, uh, and go and do something spectacular around, around that circuit. So I think that there's, and obviously we, you know, when you've got the guys fighting for the championship, you know, Shane has to come out all guns blazing. Brody can probably afford to just play the conservative card a tiny little bit, whether he opts to do that or not, we'll see. But um, yeah, I think the door's definitely open for for Ford to add to its tally um, in these last two races. Hmm. Well, there's plenty to play for and, potential twists and turns. Now, the fallout from the 2024 calendar is continuing pretty much, I don't know if anyone's happy. Daniel Herrero, is that the feeling you're getting about the, well, same again, 12 event schedule for next year? That's essentially the feeling I'm getting. The um, Yeah, the best case uh, in terms of a response has is, is basically been a neutral one. I don't think anyone's particularly excited like you say it's only 12 events again so we've got some long gaps in the racing there's um aside from the addition of topor there's uh well there's nothing different there so there's nothing there's nothing else there to really excite us they've they've played around with some formats a bit which will have its own interest at uh when we get to those events the time braces for the super sprints for example is an interesting one but no um no, it's it's all a bit uh, it's all a bit underwhelming. I think I said the exciting one was Topor, and we got that news in uh, in August, and then it's just been a waiting game for all the other pieces to to fall into place. Yeah, no, it's got more holes in it than Swiss cheese, and ADL twelve events is it's just not enough. And then you've you know starting at Bathurst, Simmons Plains in August. Oh save us yeah look it's underwhelming you know that's that's really what it is and i guess we're trapped in this loop at the moment where taking the step to add more races is so incredibly difficult um because of the cost that is associated with that through the t the conditions of the trc so i just kind of don't see how we get out of it right now unless there are fundamental changes to to that entry process um and the team's just you know that there is some sort of system put in place. Obviously, you can't just say the teams you have to suck it up and go and spend a heap more money because they're bleeding enough as it is at the moment. But there needs to be a system in place where we can add more races and it works for everybody because this is a major... We, we consider ourselves a major sporting code and we have 11 rounds in Australia next year, you know, spread over that over a 12-month period. Like, that is not enough sport, um, you know, to, to really consider ourselves a, a top sporting code. So something has to change uh, in that system. Indeed, it does, as you say, to be taken seriously. Supercars needs to step it up and get all that in order. Hopefully, for 2025, they will do. Okay, then. Andrew Van Leeuwen, Matt Koch, and Daniel Herrero. Thank you for your time and insights. We've got a lot of good racing to look forward to over the next 10 days. Thank you, folks. That's it for now. I'll be back late on Monday with all the latest breaking news 
on the Speed Cafe newscast. In the meantime, full coverage of all the major racing action around the world at speedcafe.com. And don't forget the Grassroots Racing Podcast, presented by national racing gurus Gary O'Brien and Darren Smith, talking with Australian rally legend Dean Erich. I'm Mark Fogarty. Once again, thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production.